You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. We're happy to have with us on Preaching Source today, Dr. Simon Vibert. Uh, Dr. Vibert is an Anglican. He is the vice principal and the director of the School of Preaching at Wycliffe Hall, a permanent private hall at the University of Oxford. And a member of the, uh, he's been a member of the Church of England Evangelical Council. Uh, he also, in, in addition to being a teacher of preaching, he has spent 18 years in pastoral ministry. Uh, so, Dr. Vibert, welcome to Preaching Source today. Thank you very much. First question Will you talk to us about some of the preaching trends in the various uh, ecclesiastical traditions in England? So my perspective is um, shaped by mainly training Anglican ordinands for a lifetime of preaching ministry, and uh, they do so in the context of a university education. But we have found a way of um, integrating homiletical training um, across the board. It's part of their ministry experience. They come with a variety of experiences. So our students are mature students. They've perhaps had a career before, and uh, many of them a lot of experience in preaching. We we, we benefit from the Haddon Robinson big idea trend of preaching and find that for simplicity and clarity's sake, that's a very good model, which I do teach the students, um, indebted to some key homiletics trainers. Um, so John Stott's book, I Believe in Preaching, is core reading for us, um, Between Two Worlds, I think it's called This Side of the Pond. And he talks about preaching as bridge building, so making the connection between the ancient text and the modern world. Um, and also um, Dick Lucas, who's now 91, was uh, a key influence on my preaching in London. And he probably broke a lot of the homiletical rules, but um, really modeled letting the text speak for itself. And I still listen with joy to his preaching. So it depends a little bit on the circles that you've been in as to how your preaching influences have been shaped. Um, in the Anglican tradition, <clears throat> if you come from a quite liturgical church, you may be used to preaching from a lectionary where you would um, try to deal with, with the three readings that are read. And I try to encourage students to concentrate on one text and to encourage their congregations to uh, hear the, the Bible speak in that context. Others coming from a... Um, more free church or, or preaching type student churches uh, are used to longer expository preaching. So preaching probably like many places in the States is variable according to the level of training and the receptivity of the congregation. But there are some good preachers around, but across the country, there's plenty of work to be done to train up more good preachers. Mm. Now you have written uh, Excellence in Preaching. The subtitle is Learning from the Best. Uh, share with us a few insights from your book. So the reason for writing this book is partly a personal one that I know that in my own development as a preacher, I, I've already mentioned some of the people who have been key formative influences on my preaching. And it was a little bit like this when I used to have piano lessons that I would sit down and the, 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 the tutor would teach me what I had to play and show me the notes. And the end of the lesson, I'd say, could you please just play this for me so that I know what it's supposed to sound like? And the idea behind um, this book was, number one, 
um, whatever your local preacher is like, you have the opportunity to access through the World Wide Web preachers of different traditions and different competencies around the world. So we we should benefit from that. And I don't think preachers should be intimidated by that. Um, and number two, one of the ways I learned to preach was by listening to good models. Um, and I wanted to try and, in this book, give the flavor of some of the people who are known to be good preachers and what it is that they do that we could learn from and emulate. Um, they, it's not supposed to be the top 12 of preachers. I really picked 12 preachers who came up in my surveys as being good preachers, but also could emphasize particular things. So J. John um, is very good at storytelling and humor. So I looked at him as a good model for that. Uh, David Cook, the Australian, is brilliant at sort of beginnings and endings of sermons. So I look at how he does that in some of his sermons and so on, taking the models and trying to learn from, from good practitioners. Hmm. Dr. Vibert, your scholarly interests uh, include homiletics, leadership, and hermeneutics. Why, why those three areas? What, what, is there something that ties those three things together for you? The link between hermeneutics and homiletics is easy to make, of course, isn't it? So that um, handling the biblical text well is one side of the preaching task. Um, the other side is the communicative act to make sure that that, that actually we faithfully preach that text to a modern audience clearly and well. And I guess the thing that unites them actually is that I teach in the more practical vocational side of the school um, as, a, as a pastor and somebody who still preaches quite a lot outside in, in, in local churches, that the pastoral task to lead the sheep and to feed the sheep um, requires the combination of hermeneutics, homiletics and um, leadership. So. The, there's a logical connection between those in my mind. All right. Now, I, I thought it was interesting that you are English, uh, but you have written on the preaching ministry of an American, Jonathan Edwards. I'd love to hear your perspective on Edwards' preaching ministry. So there's a bit of a backstory here um, that I found John Piper's take on Jonathan Edwards very interesting. And as a British Stoic, to be uh, told that I should seek my joy um, in the Lord um, and to be a hedonist, to use his language, um, was was quite interesting. So I, I used that as a, a basis of my demon study. And of course, um, John Piper claims to have got his theology from Jonathan Edwards. So took me back to Jonathan Edwards and, and actually very much enjoyed um, reading Jonathan Edwards, found his theology um, dense and challenging and heartwarming. In particular, um, he had a lot to say about growing in the experience of the, of the knowledge and the love of God. And in, I, I found it useful where he spoke about God is the ground of love and is the goal of all love. In other words, that all love springs from God and a God-centeredness. And then even the expression of love has maybe in the short horizon a spouse or a friend or a task or, or a people but the long-term horizon is always God is the ultimate goal. And if I love God the best, then I'm actually going to love people appropriately along the way, um, which was my uh, help, I think, from Jonathan Edwards on that front. Now, you are with us here today on Preaching Source because Southwestern Seminary is hosting the annual meeting for the Evangelical Homiletical Society. And you did a paper this year at EHS entitled How to Hear a Sermon 
Could could you briefly summarize that uh, paper for our uh, list, uh, preaching source listeners? Sure. Um, so the reason I wrote on this particular subject is because and I think this is a privilege, but I now hear a lot more sermons than I preach. So as a pastor, you preach a lot, don't listen to very many. Now I listen to lots, you know, dozens every month. Um, and I think it got me thinking about what does it mean to hear sermons well, um, partly for my own benefit. How do I hear um, so that it does me spiritual good, not just that I sit there as um, a critic or as uh, somebody who's looking at how they put their homiletical form together. Um, and it, I just noted that the Bible actually has a lot to say about the disposition of listeners. Um, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches uh, in the parable of the sower and seed. Um, actually, the, the sower broadcasts the seed, generously sows it wherever it, and it will fall, some on the path, some on the rocky ground and um, some amongst the weeds and so on. And only a small amount um, falls fruitfully. And it made me conscious that um, those different dispositions of hearing, at one level, are not the concern of the preacher because they get on the business and generously um, sow the seed. But on the other hand, we do have a responsibility, I think, to care, nurture, and take our part in the sowing and reaping process, um, which for me in part means that um, I should be as a preacher, a good listener to sermons, because unless I've heard properly, I cannot put myself in the place of hearers, but also encouraging um, hearers to have a good disposition um, to make sure that they're not listening purely for entertainment, they're not listening to favorite preachers only, that they're actually sitting humbly under the word of God, that they're finding resonance and empathy with what is preached, um, and actually listening to what hearers are saying about sermons is shaping not an audience-driven approach to preaching, but one that is sympathetic to knowing how we're heard rather than how we think we're speaking. Mm. Evangelicals all over the world uh, love John Stott and have appreciated his ministry to the, through the years, and you are involved in John Stott's uh, Langham Trainers program that seeks to equip pastors around the world in biblical preaching. What, talk to us a little bit about John Stott's ministry, your perspective on, on him. His influence has been huge, um, and in actual fact, the, the Langham partnership is shaped around three strands. There's scholarship, the Langham scholars, there's the Langham preachers, and the Langham literature, and actually it's appropriate that those three strands uh, exist because they reflect some of his own passion. Um, he was very methodical and precise. I mean, when you either heard him preach or, or when you read one of his books, you sort of feel as though every word matters and uh, that there's, there's quality and depth uh, to what he says. Um, <clears throat> he has uh, had a, a, a passion for seeing the benefits of what has been quite a privileged ministry in, in central London uh, dissipated around the world and hence set up uh, the funds to enable the training of preachers there. Um, and it is uh, quite remarkable, really, that um, through his own modest view of ministry and his own personal self-deprecating demeanor, he's actually had a global ministry um, that, that, that continues to, to influence people uh, today. Um, and I've been very grateful, actually, to be a part of training preachers under that rubric of Langham preachers. And I think there are many who've benefited 
both from his generosity in terms of how he's used the royalties of his books to fund this ministry, but also the, the model of preaching that... Um, so he uses the term expository preaching, um, but actually has quite a generous definition of it, namely to uh, expose what is there rather than to impose what is not there, um, from which I infer that he really wants to let the text do the speaking. Um, and that comes out in his writing and in his preaching and something that, that we try to model when we train other preachers too. Well, that's a wonderful definition of expository preaching, to expose what is there rather than to impose what is not. It'd be great if we all did it, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it would indeed. Well, that is a good note for us to wrap our interview with uh, Dr. Simon Vibert on. Thank you so much for being with us here on Preaching Source today.